equity of up to £150 million. You're in the theatre, fine, you're here to win games. We want to try to reduce this gap. I think that uh, a good team has to be good uh, to recognize uh, different phases during the game. Welcome into the Tottenham Depot. This is Caroline. I am back with y'all for a couple of weeks while Andrew is enjoying a vacation. But I've got a couple of the usual gang here with me to talk about the week that was in Tottenham. So I've got Scott. He's at DSM Spurs out in Seattle. How is it going, Scott? Good. Yeah, good weekend, Caroline. Just playing in a hockey tournament down at the Kraken training facility. So it's been a lot of fun. And um, yeah, I'm just watching a little bit of Serie A this morning, watch, watching the, the, the Scudetto winners take on Fiorentina. So nice relaxing Sunday. Sounds good. Yeah, y'all are trying to get me into hockey too, so it's, it's been an experience. <laughs> no you doubt. gotta go see it live, Caroline. That's a game changer. Yeah, that's true. Well, you heard his voice. We've also got Todd out in San Diego. He is at TC underscore Cachot. How has it been, Todd? I feel like we haven't talked to you in a while. I've been hiding. It's true. I've been hiding. But any day, Caroline, any day you get to talk to your people about, uh, well, a Tottenham victory on the men's side and a, a uh, uh, Harry Kane record breaker. Actually, several Harry Kane record breakers, which I'm sure will come on to. It was a good fucking day. I can't complain. Oh, yes. I have the full list of Harry Kane's records that he broke yesterday. So we'll get into that. So, yeah, the men's team had a 1-0 home victory over Crystal Palace. Uh, there were, I think, times in the game where it was it was a little slow, but we pulled off the result in the end. And let's get into it with talking about team selection first. So I think one of the notable things that we found out before the game is that Larice is definitely out for the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, there have been some rumors that he could be considering going back to France and not playing the final year of his contract at Spurs. And if that were to be the case, that 6-1 loss against Newcastle would have been his last game. So how do we feel about that being his final match? And what would we think his legacy would be, you know, if he left the club? Well, I think uh, I think that his legacy um, will be one of the longest serving captains in Tottenham Hotspur club history. I mean, I think he's third overall in, in club appearances as captain. Um which is impressive. Um, I think his legacy will be that of one of the greatest shot stoppers in recent memory. I don't think that you can, you can say he's, he is one of the most, one of the best reaction save artists, I think in the world. And I don't, I don't, I think even people in the, in the goalkeeping guild would agree with that. Um, But I also think that his Tottenham career is going to be marred by two things. One, um, the fact that he never lifted silverware as a captain. Uh, And two, um, the fact that he seemed to, I don't want to say shrink in the biggest moments, but I think that there was always a gaffe in his game, especially when it came to his distribution. Uh, Well, three things. The distribution being shitty, always three. Um, But I think that there's always a gaffe in his game. And so whether it's... um, you know, whether it's him getting uh, sent off in a, in a Champions League game or whether it's, you know, giving away a stupid penalty 
or whether it's, uh, you know, having the ball go in between his wickets off of Eric Dyer to, to lose to, to Liverpool at Anfield. Like, there are so many, or like having Trippier kick the ball past Lloris into our own fucking net for our own goal, like from his position at right back. Like, I think that there are going to, I think Lloris is going to have a very dichotomous legacy, Scott. Yeah, Hugo, it is it is really nuanced with him. I think I looked back to some of uh, those years, especially under Pochettino, the early years, and there was a lot of conversations that you and I probably had, Todd, is are we going to hold on to Hugo, right? Because mm-hmm. he was one of the best keepers in the world. And anytime a, a, a team needed a keeper, they looked, looked to Hugo because he played for Tottenham, right? And that's what happens. But I, I think, first of all, we have to say thank you to Marine his wife tried to pronounce her name correctly, but we all know that she loves living in London and uh, there's only two other clubs in London in the premier league. And we know he wasn't going there. Right. So I think that all jokes aside, his affinity for, for, for his life in London is a huge part of why we were, were able to keep him. Um, and so I think we have to pay respect to the fact that, one of the greatest keepers of a generation played at Spurs for his entire career for all intent and purposes. Right. Which is fucking wild to think. Um, but like Todd, said, what's also wild, not- hold on. What's also wild to think is the amount of crazy disrespect you just showed to like Brentford and Fulham and Crystal <laughs> Palace and like all the other London teams in the Premier well, League that you were just like, fuck you guys. I think everyone knows that, <laughs> that I'm talking about a world-class keeper who wasn't going to any of those clubs, right? Oh, but, fine, fine, fine. Yeah. You don't, you're not going to say Hugo at Brentford? All right. Yeah, all right. I mean, maybe now. But no, I mean, un- unfortunately... <laughs> Unfortunately, the, the 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 whole deal you really can't put your finger on exactly what happened. I think I can't. The last, the last. I mean, you can speculate for sure. No, no, I'm no. Going he to, hasn't but... been the same keeper, Scotty, since he broke his arm. Well, I he mean, there's saved that. a penalty prior to that. His yeah, ability to there... save a pen kept us in the Champions League, let alone, um, you know, games. Shit. I but think the real fact... question here is: Has he been? first keeper for too long should there have been a changing of the guard previous to this season especially because I, I think mean, that's kind of where I'm at I mean maybe but how do you take the armband off of a keeper that's taken a club from continually finishing six through eight to regularly finishing in the top four over his tenure one also he won a world cup as France's captain and took France to a second world cup final as France's captain it's kind of hard in a World Cup year to take the arm bab off of his fucking arm as club captain when he's also country captain. Everything well, changes yeah. now because he's retired from international football and he just doesn't have the same mystique as a keeper anymore. And he lost that World Cup final. The wheels have effectively fallen off for you. Well, yeah. So the World Cup's part of it. That what I was going to get at was he, he wins the World Cup. Pochettino leaves right around the same time, right? You get Jose Ball. You get... Conte ball where you're pinned back in front of a, a really shitty defense, right, as a goalkeeper. Um, and you've just won the World Cup. So if I'm Hugo, I find myself in a situation where I'm smart enough to know that my club's not going in the right direction and I just won a World Cup and fuck it. Like, whatever happens, happens at that point, no, right? I, I mean, really we went don't. to the Champions League final the year after he won a World Cup. Like, he, like the thing is, is yeah. there was enough – and this is kind of what I – honest to God, Scotty – this is really what I'm looking at is that like 
this era of Tottenham, as you kind of take a step back and look at it from a, from a, a, a 30,000 foot view, is going to be marred by missed opportunity and missed chances. And thinking about the fact that the England team that made it to the extra time in a World Cup semifinal was primarily Tottenham players. And thinking about how our club captain was a World Cup winning club captain. And thinking about how we had Danny Rose and Kyle Walker as our starting fullbacks and we didn't win a single trophy. Like, we had Harry fucking Kane and won nothing there's and a, did There's a nothing. lot that goes into this. Exactly. You're, that's exactly it. There, that's why I say it's extremely nuanced, and we can sit here and speculate all day long. But Hugo Hugo hasn't been the, the same Hugo we knew in the last three or four years. Hugo also is older than he was, you know, when, when referencing the Hugo we knew or whatever in air quotes, right? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's I don't think it's like, totally totally crazy that we're, we're at this point and I think you know human beings have a real tendency to look at the negative before the positive and so that will happen right it's it's something that we all can work on as people I think but if 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 we can can do ourselves a favor and look at the positives before the negatives I think we can look at a captain who like Todd said is the third most in in caps for somebody who wears the armband for this very very storied club and um, in my opinion, he was a top three goalkeeper in the world for 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 good portion of his career, and he stayed at Tottenham. So all credit to him because y'all know I love to banter the club. But all jokes aside, he he could have been playing for a much much better club than he than he was for for a good portion of his career. And I think we have to pay respect to that too. That respect, yeah, you're not yeah. wrong about that. Yeah, it is important to to remember that loyalty when thinking about mm-hmm. it for sure. Well, if we are going to try to find a positive out of this, it's that Fraser Forster has been a fairly dependable deputy in his absence. So he obviously started again for this game. We had a bit of a surprise in that Emerson Royale actually started and Yves-Basuma was, he ended up being an unused sub, but was also in the match day squad. Um, and I had kind of assumed that both of them were going to be, you know, also season ending injuries. So what did y'all think about them coming into the side? Well, I love Eve Basuma, and I've been pretty vocal about that throughout. And it's been a rough first year for him in Tottenham Colors. Um, and so the fact that he worked his way back from what everybody thought was season-ending injury um, is really impressive. Um, and more than anything else, it shows his dedication to his craft and to the club. Um, same with Emerson Royale, to be fair. Emerson's been bantered up one side and down the other, but at the end of the day, we got to remember the fact that he's just a 24 year old Brazilian kid who's playing premier league football and he's loving his fucking life to be fair about Emerson. He's getting better. So the one thing that we've always had a scapegoat at Tottenham, um, we, we just, we love to have him. Uh, and for whatever reason, um, we kind of like get a snapshot of these players in our mind and then we just kind of hold on to it. Uh, and every time that they do something shitty, it just kind of affirms that snapshot in our mind. What I want to say with Emerson is that Emerson has, one, never ducked his head one time. Played shitty, played great, no-look passes to the touchline, doesn't fucking matter. He's flexing, he's swagging, he's smiling, he's all spurs. Like, that is what endears you to a club, is the way that you persevere through your trials. And that is what endears you to your fan base. I have all the respect in the world for Emerson. I'm glad that he's healthy and contributing again. 
Whether I like him as a player for Tottenham or not is a different conversation for a different day. But at the end of this season with this mass unit of fucking players, we got a healthy Emerson and he's stoked to be in the Tottenham shirt. Let's fucking go, Scotty. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I would say thank fucking God Emerson was back. Let's do him justice here. Like, holy shit. I, hey, now. No, this dude, he, first of all, he was putting a man in the match performances, like pretty much every match before he went down with this injury, right? And banter the club again. We, as far as conceding goals, the last three matches prior to Crystal Palace were just fucking laughable. We all know this, right? One of the, one of the worst three matches you'll ever see in Premier League history as far as goals conceded, right? I think it was, what, 12, 13? I'm, I'm spitballing here, but probably 13 goals, I think, in three matches we conceded or something like that. Emerson walks in and puts up a fucking clean sheet. I don't think there's a huge surprise there, right? And, of course, well, it wasn't okay. just him, but – No, I, well, hold on. I, it wasn't just him that put up the clean sheet, but I, there's no way that he wasn't a part of what we did yesterday. Now – Part of that also is that Dyer didn't play, and, and, you know, I think that factors into the fact that Emerson did. But regardless, uh, well, Emerson came in and really helped us steady the ship at the back. There's, there's, there's no way around that for me. You're absolutely right, and I would never deny that fact. But I think that you can't just gloss over that, oh, you know, Dyer didn't play. This is fucking addition by subtraction. Well, we're going to talk about that for sure. I mean, but... we kind of have to, and I think now's the segue, Kaz. He's fucking horrible, and I hope that he never plays in a Tottenham shirt again. I don't care how long he's been at the club. I don't care how handsome he is. I don't care that he speaks Portuguese. Get fucked. I'm done. Dude, it's tough, too, because one of my favorite memories as a Spurs fan was marching through Los Angeles, singing about how much I love Eric Dyer and how much he loves me. And I think you were there, Todd, but um, I can't remember if you made the journey north or not. But but during that trip, man, Eric Dyer – I don't know. He cemented a place in my heart on during that, that, that tour when they came to the States and it's really tough for me to say this, but I agree with you, man. He cannot play another minute for this club. He is just, he, he's, there are moments where I ask myself, could I have done a better job there? And the answer is yes. 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 And that's scary to me because I get waxed consistently in my men's league, right? It happens, but but there are there there are moments where I know I could have done better than him, and it's not tongue in cheek when I say that, and that's a scary thing for the club, right? They it it that's a mix of of confidence and ability and all kinds of things, right? Um, now I will say it's fair to say that maybe the club has put him in a pretty tough position, asking him to play such a crucial role in a back three when he just doesn't have the ability to do that no. well, right? No, absolutely yes. not. It's what been, I'm, no, it's been three fucking managers, dude, four managers. Yes, it's and not, what I'm saying is no. the club has not put – the club has not bought anybody that's better than Eric Dyer is what I'm saying, right? Bullshit. That's, Christian Romero is better than Eric Dyer. And he plays left, with Eric Dyer. There can't be center. two of him. No, I, right. no, no I, I understand what you're saying. What, what, you're, what you're ostensibly saying – is that when we had the opportunity to sign Kim Menjai and we didn't, we're dumbasses, and you're right. Because now and that's he why goes Eric to Dyer Napoli and he went to Scudetto, and now Eric Dyer again shits the bed. When we had the opportunity to go get Bastoni, and we had the opportunity to go get Skriniar, and we had the opportunity to, do all, to get Gruel and Joaquin Anderson and all these fucking players that are regularly playing and regularly contributing in a way that Eric Dyer could never, it's extremely yeah. frustrating. To look at the way that Daniel Levy has paid off 
manager after manager after manager, and Eric Dyer still starts 80% of the Premier League games. I want Kim and Jay cost a third of what Mourinho cost us and half of exactly. what Nagelsmann's going to cost us and a third of what Jose cost us. It's laughable. You, Levy I is think fucking it's a psychosis, failing left and right. We It's like it, – it, we could sit here and do a two-hour podcast on how many times Levy has fucked up. It's 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 wild, and I'm not saying Levy out, but I'm saying let's let's recognize how many times we have fucked up as a club and find a way to fix it. Right? It's crazy. Anyway, yeah, I think the crux of the the issue is that even after he had a pretty decent run in last season, we all kind of recognize that he cannot be the starter in an ideal. Tottenham team uh you know there was there was some idea that he could be a, a decent squad player but yeah I definitely think having Emerson come into this game gave us a lot more flexibility with the defense because we were able to play this kind of more fluid formation where we were switching between a back three and back four at different times of possession um did y'all think that worked well I mean I, I think the for the what proof we have is in the pudding Cass. for what yes, we have exactly. available in the fact that like when you're looking at first off games against Crystal Palace are usually one nil. Like call it what it is. Like go back and look yeah, at sure. It's, we we one nil against Crystal Palace on a Harry Kane header. Huh? It's almost like I read that somewhere before. The only thing that I can say about this one is at least it wasn't at four o'clock in the morning, and at least it was at home and not at Selhurst Park because otherwise that score line might have been different. Um, so I just I I'm I'm so disgruntled as a Tottenham fan trying to have a logical conversation about a team that's clearly a sixth or seventh place team in this league. And trying to talk about like where we should be when it's clear that we don't have the players to accomplish that goal. And when I say we don't have the players, either they're not healthy or they've um, kind of uh, due to injury, that, like nagging injuries that no one's talking about. And I'm talking about Kulisevsky specifically, like they're not playing to form. And you have that coupled with just pure deficiency in system and in player ability. Um, and then you have the kind of tumultuous nature around the club, given the fact that Daniel Levy has lost the confidence of the board and the fans and the players and everybody in his office. And he's kind of lit a match to Tottenham Hotspur right now. And it's tough. We're looking at the few games that we have left. All of them have implications, Kaz, about the, the European campaign next year. And I don't know what I want. How weird is that to say? Well, I mean, I think that's a conversation we can have because I've been wondering if we could be in a different scenario right now if the club had brought Ryan Mason in as the interim manager from the start and we had not gone through the Stellini. I'm not even going to say experiment because he really didn't do anything different. So <laughs> I appreciate about Mason that he's at least trying to get some new tactics in and find some solutions for, you know, all the problems we just talked about within the squad and within the club. But it, right now it seems like champions league is, is off the table. I think all but mathematically and Europa league is looking more likely, but it could even be Europa conference league. And how do we feel about that? Do we want to be involved in that competition? Cause what's the place Scotty? What's the place for conference league? Is it seventh and eighth? It's I, I know it's seventh. I don't believe eighth place makes the conference league. I believe just seventh place. Just seventh um, place, yeah? So yeah, it's five yeah. and six I'm, in the Europa League and then seventh in the conference league. 
Dude, I'd rather get eighth place and miss it all together. Like yeah, I'd rather, I, I mean, love the I I love the Europa League in terms of from a Tottenham standpoint. That's that's a trophy that we've won twice. Like that's a that used to be a much bigger European competition than it is. But like, <clears throat> like that's still something that you win the Europa League, and nobody says shit to you. Like that, it's something you feel good about. It's a European trophy. And I would love no, nothing more than to see Tottenham raise a European trophy. Um, that said, the Conference League is a trash can, and I don't want any part of it. Well, it's interesting. The Conference League made, I think, the Europa League a little bit more attractive because the Europa League was not now no longer like the bottom tier competition subconsciously in the mind, right? But yeah. So I, 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 I agree with you. The Europa League is an attractive competition to me. Now, do I think we can win it? Absolutely not. And that's just me looking objectively at what's happening at the club right now. Things can change, of course. Caroline and I have talked a lot about this, actually. I feel very strongly that we need to miss out on Europe. And my my one and only bullet point for that is that it gives you anywhere from 12 to 18 more training sessions in the, in the front half of the season. And those 12 okay. to 18 training sessions could accomplish so much for this team that has so much work to do. Like okay. we have way too much work to do to be spending three days every other week traveling and not, not stand soccer. You're not wrong. You're not wrong, but here's my thing. And you have to ask yourself this question. Does missing out on Europe altogether cause you to lose Nagelsmann spores, Kane, son, no, they don't give a Poitier. shit about the conference league. I'm not saying they give a shit about the conference league. I'm saying like, if we miss out on these competitions, will the, the potential coaching prospects that we're waiting on so we don't have to pay the full amount of money because old buddies on guarding leave, um, will that opportunity go by the wayside because that coach wants to coach a team that's in Europe? Will Harry Kane and Youngman's son start to have their head turned by the Manchester United's and the Real Madrid's of the world because they're in the Champions League and we're not in Europe? Like, well, for, those, for, are, those are the questions. Like, do like I feel like we're so close yet so far on this project that I don't know that we have, like, a reset year unless we say, unless, hear me out, Harry, this is the year where you're going to go get 40 Premier League goals. We have no Europe. We're going to play the kids the rest of the season. Fuck it. We have no Europe. Next year, Harry, all you, come and get this record. We're going to try to win this whole thing. If Dude, you take that approach, that, I'm about it. But that's not what Daniel Levy's going to do, Scotty, because that's not where the money is. Well, first of all, I I think that's a good shout on Kane. I can assure you that he doesn't want to putz around in the conference league. So I I, I know that. I mean, I, I don't know the man, but who the fuck would, would ever think that he would want to putz around in the conference league, right? There's no point. Um, I, I would also say with Kane, if his head's not already turned and we're banking on Europe, like, yeah, we're way off the mark because – we have done enough to turn his head at this point. We've done 10 times what it takes to turn a guy like that's head, right? So Kane is a whole other situation. And with Nagelsmann, if he wants a project, he doesn't give a shit if he's in the conference league or not, right? What a way to start a project than not have Europe and get those 12 to 18 training sessions I'm talking about. So I don't think conference league does a lick of shit for us at all. I just don't, I don't see any reason why anyone at the club cares if we're in the conference league. I really don't. Um, Europa League, I think, it's very much subjective to a specific individual or opinion. Right. So who knows, but 
I don't, if I look at the table right now, I don't even have confidence that we'll finish sixth or seventh. The points don't say we will. Um, we can get into it, but I still don't think we looked great yesterday. We got a win, right? I know that there was some talk that like, oh, what a fucking performance from top to bottom. Far from it. We did win. Um, I just, I, I don't, <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't feel strongly that anything I'm seeing makes me confident that we're going to get six or seven plays anyways. If you look at the, the, the games in hands that Brighton has, and I think Southampton's, or sorry, Aston Villa is right, right behind them, right? There's a lot going on around us as far as teams that are playing better soccer than we are. So let's just, let's bite the bullet, finish eighth place for please, and, and move on and, and just build from the ground up. Yeah, I've been waffling on this basically for the last two weeks. And I think I'm starting to side more with your view, Scott, that we kind of need that extra training time to really focus on the rebuild, focus on implementing the new manager's tactics. I guess the only upside I can see if we do end up in Europa League, which hopefully not Conference League, is that it could be an opportunity to bring some youth players through because that hasn't really been a focus over the last, I would say, season and a half under Conte. Yeah, I agree. that could be a silver lining. Yeah, if if it's your Opal League and you can take a mixed bag of of your of your like maybe number eleven through fifteen and then some youth and get them some good minutes, right? I think that's great. Yeah, Conference League. The, I know this is going to sound silly, but if we if we God forbid make that fucking tournament, I would love to just register the U twenty one team, the, just the entire U twenty one squad, and not now, again. This would never happen, and this is like fairy tale shit, but like. How cool would it be for us to finish at seventh, end up in this stupid competition, and just let the U21s have a go at it? That would be a dream for those kids, and that keeps our first squad training. So, anyways, it, it leave you if you're listening. That's the one way you're going to keep this random person in Seattle happy, bud, if we make the conference league. So, hear me out. No, but even – I agree um, that I think that the, that the Europa League – not the conference league, but the Europa League has appeal. I think it has appeal because you're going to be able to like start guys like Dan Juma and like, like Scott says, you're 11 through 15s. You're going to be able to, to give guys like, I don't know. I think all I skip might work his way into something, but with Benton coming back, like being able to start skip regularly to still give him those regular minutes is something that I would appreciate. Like I would love to see like a fully rotated side for the majority of the whatever European competition that we have just so that we can stay fresh and act. I don't know. I got to be honest with you guys though. Like we sit here and we have this conversation, but then we watch and it's the same fucking 11 dudes that try to, you know, save three substitutions every fucking game, every fucking week. It's like, we don't know what we're talking about here. Yeah. Well, just to get back to the game, I, I do think it's worth remembering that this was a London Derby because at first, I, I wasn't thinking about that, but definitely by the end of the game, it seemed like the rivalry had kind of awoken and things got very physical. You know, Crystal Palace had five cards in the second half and the play started to get very disrupted. And I, I think that the team did a pretty good job of game management in that final stretch to secure the result. And, you know, this was our first clean sheet in all competitions since that draw with AC Milan in the second leg. Um, also our first in the Premier League since that 2-0 win over Chelsea. So that's got to count for something. But we should talk about the goal. The one goal of the game happened just before halftime. Harry Kane essentially set up his own goal um, with kind of a, a give and take, so to speak, with Pedro Porro for the assist. 
and he set several records with this goal. So obviously the key one is that he is now in second place for Premier League goals overall. He passed Wayne Rooney with his 209th Premier League goal. He also has the most headed goals in a single Premier League season with 10. He is the first player to score over 100 goals, both home and away in the Premier League. Um, he has the most London Derby goals, which I believe he passed Thierry Henry for that. And he also has the most 25-plus goal seasons in Premier League history. Okay. So, I mean, incredible. <laughs> so, Scott, I, I'm curious as to your opinion there. I want to know your most surprising of those records and then your favorite of those records. So, the most surprising for me is um, the most headed goals in a season. I thought for sure Peter Crouch, who has the most headed goals in Premier League history, would have had more headed goals than in a season than 10. Um, and then my favorite record out of all of those is the most 25-plus goals in a season record. I think that there's nothing sexier than consistent production from a striker and good gravy. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, my, my favorite record is the same record. The the one that surprised me, the, and for the same reason. So um, I'll save the listener the redundancy. But but for, for for my most surprising was probably the first two 100 away goals. Um, and I know he didn't set that against Palace, actually. So I'm backtracking a little bit here. But that is – that's just fucking incredible. And the fact that he got there before 100 goals at home, I believe, Um, actually I'm positive that he did that. That's just, (laughs) it's insane. And I, you know, I just remember so vividly and I know you will too, Todd, the one season wonder bullshit, you know, and that was, that was a conversation for about three years. Yeah. Yeah. The pirate dude. And, and I, I remember very, very specifically, and Chuban has said this before, but where I was on the day that we ripped Chelsea on New Year's Day, I was sitting yeah. in, in Buffalo Wild Wings with a bunch of soccer fans, none of which were Spurs fans, right? But Des Moines, Iowa, <laughs> and I I left the match that day wondering if what I had just seen was actually real or if that was, again, <laughs> just, just a one-time thing, right? And then from there he just kept scoring and kept scoring and kept scoring. And this was like, he was pretty scrawny, like 22 year old, 23 year old at this point. Right. Just putting yeah. the goal. He was scrawny little guy. He just was putting the goals away. Um, turning Chelsea on its, on its ass. And yeah, anyways, just to see, to see what he's done over the years, it's something I'll never really be able to put into words. And it's actually something that I, I need to do a better job of just remembering. No, <laughs> like what, you want to know what, what it has is. actually happened, you know? Do you want what 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 it is for me is this season and being over there and him breaking the Tottenham record for for most goals in the club. Like we need to start we have appreciation for Harry Kane because he's our guy and like we love him and he's one of our own. We need to start speaking of Harry Kane with reverence because like this is majesty. We, we we're n- I don't know that we'll ever see anything like this again in our lifetime. Certainly, yeah. Uh, certainly not likely in a Tottenham shirt. Um, so I'm I'm just thankful, man. Harry Kane is fucking incredible. And speaking of the goal that he scored yesterday, Cavs, the most impressive part about that goal was the little sand wedge that he fucking played to Poro out of nowhere. He wasn't mm-hmm. even in the screen. The commentators had to hesitate a moment 
to figure out where the fuck he was putting that ball. And then Poro runs on the end of it. And whoever the commentator on that was, was like, oh, and yes, Poro down the wing as usual. Like, fuck out of here, guy. You didn't know where that ball was going either. And then to just do what Harry Kane does, which is simply play the perfect pass, drift in behind, find himself at the back post, totally unmarked. And John Stone, who had a blinder of a game, respect to him, had no fucking chance to keep that header out. Classic Harry Kane. I think Digital Spurs shout to that guy is gonna make a uh, is gonna make a piece on the goal because it is truly like Harry Kane goal is art. Like that goal, absolutely hanging in the Louvre. Yeah, yeah. I was really struck by the partnership that he seems to be developing with Pedro Porro, which is really nice to see with a guy like Porro, who you know I don't think has had the smoothest time since he joined the club. So for Harry Kane to be kind of like prioritizing building that relationship with him on the pitch as like a leader on the team, I think is really nice. And this goal really showcased kind of the breadth of his skill set, Harry Kane, that is, yeah. you know, you, you look at that record of him being the first to have 10 headed goals in a season and you could think, okay, like that's his specialty, but no, he, he can do everything. And he really yeah. has showcased that over, I think the last two seasons, especially. I think Harry's always been able to do everything. He's just started getting, he started getting like notary, like, like starting to, to get the type of world renowned recognition that you would expect for the worst, most world-class players under Mourinho. It was the Mourinho effect. It was the, the Amazon doc. And then for him to go out and win the golden boot and the top playmaker award in the same season directly after that. But the thing is that he's been playing those passes. He's been playing those balls his entire time. He's gotten better at it. Obviously you play more, you get more, uh, you know, proficient at what you do, but the talent's always been there. I swear to God, Scotty, we're going to look back on this and just be like, I, 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 let me tell you about the real thing. Harry Kane. Honestly, the reason that he's not so not not so revered, if we want to use that word, which I think is a great word, he how do I say this? Let's just say if he was the Roy Keane type, he would be the most feared man in football. People would bow down to that dude. It, seriously, like he if if he had that just like just that that cocky I walk on water attitude and put up the numbers that he did. No, no one would say a, a lick of a bad word about that guy. And that, this is just the product of the shitty world we live in, right? The fact that he's such a good person makes him like an easy target for these other fan bases too. Yeah. But yeah. we have to put all that bullshit aside. Who gives a shit what other people say? That man is the best soccer player I've ever watched play, ever. Yeah. And he plays for my club. Um, yeah. And it's just fucking incredible. And we, I think the reason we forget that is because it's such a shit club to be a fan of, and it makes us look past the fact that we have the greatest player we've ever watched play on this club, right? And I, that makes me kind of feel bad for Harry Kane. That's a whole other conversation. Um, that dirt dude deserves so much more than than what what this club has been able able to deliver to him. Um, you know, and, and again, a whole other conversation. But, but let's just I also agree he's the perfect Tottenham star, though, Scotty. Because he doesn't have that fanfare, he didn't come up from the the, the you know the fabled uh, you know uh, youth ranks. Like yes, H Harry Kane was is one of those is 
the definition of every white guy sports cliche that you can come up with, like hard hat guy, real high IQ, you know, a uh, uh, great work ethic, um, you know, first one in, last one out, a real gym rat type, like all the cliches, yeah. bro. That's Harry yeah. Kane. And the yeah. issue is if he spoke like Eric Dyer, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Mm. For the exact reason that you stated, and I think that that's a point that, that you have to, to emphasize, he doesn't even need to be Roy Keane. If he was Eric Dyer, nobody would fuck yeah. with him. Yeah, but yeah, 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 you're right. He's he's just the, he's just the, the hardworking kid that made good, who's been with the same girl since he was like nine years old. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you going to do? But here, and here, you know, here's, here's one thing I will say off the back of what you just said, which I think was all well said. In, say, 20 years from now, Harry Kane will be viewed as an absolute legend gem, just a, a, a shining star. You know, once, once the dust settles on all the, 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 the toxicity of the world we live in, right. It'll yeah. be, it'll be viewed much differently. Um, and you bring up a great point that he's a perfect Tottenham star. I've said it before. I'll say it again, regardless of trophies, if you play for only this club and you set the, the sheer record or bust it wide open which he has the mathematical probability of doing right yes he does like beat it by like 100 goals yes he does whatever you want to say right you will go down as the greatest player and like the one club at spurs thing does factor in in a very positive way regardless of how we want to look at the skewed the skewed perception of of the club based on the again the toxicity of the world we live in you could say so kane Again, I feel bad for him in the sense that he hasn't been given an ample opportunity to, to win at the highest level. But what he has done for himself has put him in contention to do more than I think any of that ever could. So it's not all bad, right? And I, I, I think my gut tells me that he will end up doing the things that I'm discussing right now and go down as, as the greatest player to ever play the game. Well, I hope your gut is right, Scotty, because there's like – the only fear that I have as a Tottenham fan, I don't fear missing Champions League. I don't fear having Hugo's last game being a 6-1 loss to Newcastle. I fear seeing Harry Kane wearing a Manchester United shirt. Like, I fear seeing that man in, in, a, in, a, in a different uniform in general, um, but specifically a, a different uniform in England. Like, I don't know that I could stomach him in a different kit in England. Okay. I'm going to put y'all on the spot. What would be more painful to you? Kane and another Jersey or Pochettino on the touchline for Chelsea? Kane and another Jersey. Kane and another Jersey. Yeah. Well, and, and honestly, I will say this It's business, Scott, for Poch. It's business. Poch, Poch, I don't fault him for making that decision if that ends up happening, but I will, I will go directly from Spurs to Chelsea. No doubt. I, but I will say this with Kane too. I just made the comment greatest ever player, greatest player ever in the game. What I meant was in the Premier League, but I'll back up a second and I will say there is an opportunity for him to go down as the greatest ever player to ever to ever play the game, right? The greatest player to ever play the game. Win a World Cup with England, which he could do, like or Euro. I think that's still on the table. They're a very, very good side. I think the Euros are on the table. I don't know about the World yes. Cup, but I think yeah, the Euros you're are right. On the table. You're right. Four years is a long time from now, but Euros are on the table. Uh, that that helps. And as much as it would hurt to see him go to United, I think it does give him opportunities to win Premier League titles. 
And if he can get, I know, I I hate saying it, man, but I this is Harry Kane. This is just focused on Harry Kane and nothing else right now. And my love for him, right? If he were to go win a couple Premier Leagues and a Euro, I do think he goes down as the greatest player to ever play the game. I think he will. He he can't ever be labeled that without a trophy. There's you just can't. True, and I'm but sorry. that's true. You're not wrong. I don't know that the League Cup is the trophy that's going to. Well, get yeah, him there's over certain the trophies I'm talking either. about now. But what yeah, I'm yeah. saying is, is if he stays at Spurs and he wins an FA Cup and he wins the Euros with England, I think he goes down as the greatest English player of all time. English, for sure. 100%. He already could. He could already go if down as the greatest English player of all time. he goes to – if what you say is a thing, which go fuck yourself, but if what you say is a thing, and he goes to that other club and he lifts the Premier League trophy – and also wins a Euro with England. I still think he just goes down as the greatest English player of all time. I don't think that the jump is going to be like, oh, you won a Premier League with Man United and scored 25 goals or 30 goals that season. Like, oh, like you're all of a sudden the greatest ever because you're wearing a Man United you're shirt. Right. Like, For sure. That's not – I don't think that that – like he's always going to be kind of mushmouth Harry Kane, like, like no disrespect to the guy, but like, that's what everybody hears. That's what everybody makes fun of. It doesn't matter what kid he's wearing. Like, I don't think that he's going to be labeled the greatest English player unless he wins a trophy. I agree. But I think because of the way that he plays the game, Scotty, I don't think that he's ever going to be labeled the greatest ever because he's a contemporary of Ronaldo and Messi and fucking Lewandowski, which all do acrobatic shit all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair, fair. And 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 there's like there's kind of that sexy appeal of Messi and Barcelona, you know, that'll never go away. And there's that sexy uh-huh. appeal of Maradona and 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 the World Cup, right? And there's there's yep. there's a, a lot of like just cultural perception that he's up against too, always, without question. But um yeah, I don't know, all well said. Well yeah, he's not a flashy player. But I, I think you're kind of right, Todd, that it, it would probably take winning something with England as well to really solidify his status as one of the best, especially with him being captain of England. That really, you know, makes that more important as well. But before we move on to the next upcoming game, is there are there any other players that y'all want to shout out either positively or negatively from the Crystal Palace game? I'm always going to shout out um... – PH because he's PH and he's my fucking Viking. Um, and as much as I appreciated the way that he played in the Palace game, what I want to shout him out for is for the conversation that he had in the media afterwards. And what I said, what I want to say about Pierre is he's a consummate professional. He doesn't hide behind anything. He stands right out in front and says the thing that everybody's thinking. He doesn't give you the media talk that they coach you up about. He's a hundred percent Danish and he's a hundred percent accountable for the positives and negatives uh, of his performance and of the team's performance around him. Uh, And I think that especially when you're going through tough times, especially when you're not getting the results that you want, especially when it feels like the foundation of the club is crumbling around you, having someone that'll stand out front and be like, nah, this is right. This is not right. This is some bullshit. This needs to get better. This is what we're doing. Well, this is where our focus is, is invaluable especially when that's not going to be Harry Kane. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, and it's, it's so much less have... French. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> so much less French than it's been for the last 10 years that like, I just, it, it's, it makes me happy because yeah. there's something and God love you go. 
but there's something very whiny about the way that he goes about business. And it's like, he's not wrong in the things that he says, but they could be said less condescending or less. And you know what? Like I said, it's just less French. And that's what I appreciated about Pierre's perspective. Yeah, fair enough. Scotty, was there anyone that that stood out to you in this game that we haven't talked about yet? Not honestly, not really. I think you know. I think I think Romero looked a lot better. I think that had a lot to do with those that were around him too, right? Which I'm I, again, I'm not saying not anything about his ability. Um, yeah, yeah. I just think we're seeing the real Romero maybe when he has a better contingent around him. I I've griped a lot about his ability to play in the middle, but he did a good job yesterday. So I got to give him a lot of credit there, and maybe maybe stop saying those kind of things in our group chat, right? Until he proves me that it proves to me correct. But um, I think Dyer's really just affected him. So I think Romero stands out. I think Longley uh, played okay too. Davies played pretty well at left wing back, which I think we can expect. But I think, you know, as we all know, it was it was the Harry Kane show, and I don't think anybody else, you know, was uh, was on his level by any means. Well, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, Kaz, is that you mentioned the relationship that Kane has um, has started to develop with Pedro Porro. The only thing that I wanted to bring up there is that I thought what Ryan Mason has done exceptionally well since he's come in is put his team in a position to success and not expose their weaknesses. Pedro Porro is, by all accounts, a very shit defender. And we knew that when we bought him. But what he does do, God bless it, he has a whip of a right foot. And the reason why Harry Kane is forming such a great partnership with him is because he's got such a whip of a right foot. Like, Harry Kane's just excited to have somebody that can cross the ball from the right-hand side. Like, hey, did you remember that I can head the ball? Like, there's a reason why Harry Kane has so many headed goals this year. There's a reason why Tottenham has so many goals from set pieces this year. Like, that, like all of the things are, are kind of making up for the fact that Emerson can't cross. And so, like, now Harry Kane has somebody to cross him the ball, and he's excited about it. So uh, by limiting Pedro Porro's opportunities to look foolish defensively and by maximizing his opportunities to use his right foot to cross the ball into awaiting Harry Kane, um, everybody looks like they're doing their job better. Just saying. Yeah. Well, you, you know what's interesting, too, about all that is we have, for, for as, as shit as everything feels right now, I think if we can bolster our center back position and maybe get one more attacking winger in, we're pretty well suited to a 4-3-3. And I think we're going to see something like that, especially if a Nagelsmann comes in, which we'll get to, right? But you've got a guy like Pedro Porro. If you can get him up on the wing the way that he's putting the ball in the back of the net and, and playing balls across the, 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 the face of goal, I just – I think – this is all me thinking Pedro Poro at the wing is a little bit more attractive to me than anything else right now. It's probably what stems this thought process, but I really think we're well suited to put ourselves in a position to, to get Harry Kane the ball in front of the net quite often next year with the, with the players that we have around him. But we just have a few glaring issues that need solved quickly if we're going to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a really good point, Todd, about Mason really getting players into the positions where they're best suited. Because, I mean, Poro looked so much better having an actually capable defender behind him with Emerson Royale. So well done to Mason. Uh, The next test is going to be Aston Villa away. Uh, Aston Villa are three points below us in the table. 
Um, the one thing I'm concerned about heading into this is we saw Longley kind of go down towards the end of the Crystal Palace game with some sort of, I don't know, arm, shoulder situation. So if he's not able to start, what do we think we're going to see for that back line? Fucking shenanigans is what we're going to see. We're going to see some fucking shenanigans out there. It's not going to be good. Whatever it is, it's not going to be good. I mean, some combination of, of Dyer, um, Davies, and Romero and Royale, probably. I don't know. It's not good. It's not good. Whatever it is, it's bad. It's not great, Bob. Not great. Um, so yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know where we go from here. Cause it's, I, you know, I would love to see, I don't know. I'd love to see Longley healthy. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Uh, Scott, you have any thoughts about this Aston Villa game? Yeah. I, I'm, I fear, I fear the, for the result, but at the same time, I maybe welcome the result that I fear for because of what we discussed earlier with conference league and all of that. Um, I think that they're a much better side than us who is managed. And this isn't a knock on Mason at all. Mason is doing his best with the shit show, but they are managed much more efficiently and and astutely than we have been for a while. Right. Um, And I don't think they have more talent, but they're a much better team. So I think that they'll do the business against us. um, Especially with, we just, like we just discussed Longley maybe out. We'll see if he is, I, I fear that we could take another drumming in the first half like we have in recent times, right? But, um, yeah, it's, it, it probably doesn't look great for us unless we can get a Harry Kane, you know, her performance, which is never off the table, right? But but it's going to take quite a bit to, to get past Villa, I think. Yeah, you probably could have just left it at I fear. And that was <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I got a couple of things that I want to say on this. The first thing is, is that since Emery came into this squad, it's been one of the most well-organized and – one of the most put together squads in the entire league. The, I will also say, however, that they're coming into this match against us on the backs of two L's uh, against a wolf side. Um, they got beat like a drum over the weekend, like, ugh. and then a one, no loss to man United as well. Um, so they're beatable. They have the ability to be got at. However, uh, Ollie Watkins can fill it up. And the combination of Buendia and Douglas Louise in the midfield for them has been exceptional. Uh, so, and for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is, um, I can't get Matty Cash out of my mind. And I just, I want to see bad things happen to him. Uh, but, you know, to be honest, like, their back line with Mings and, and, and Matty Cash has, has actually done an exceptional job. Like as far as there's a reason why they are where they are in the table since Emery came here. Um, so as I'm looking at this match, I think that the biggest thing that I'm concerned about more than anything else um, is exactly how we respond in the first 25 minutes of this match. I think if we get out of the first 25 minutes of this match, then it's kind of open and, you know, all bets are off. Uh, but I agree, Kaz. I think that if we're looking at Dyer standing on that back line to start the match, it could get really ugly really quick. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very true that Unai Emery has kind of transformed them since he came in, especially if you look at a player like Tyrone Mings, who was kind of on the outs and had the captaincy stripped of him by Gerard. So he's clearly getting a tune out of these players. And 
I think Aston Villa have had pretty smart recruitment over the past few seasons and that they've built, you know, a very cohesive team, but on paper, I think we still have the quality edge. So it's kind of just going to come down to which manager makes the best adjustments in game. And, you know, hopefully Mm. it will be Tottenham. Is it at Villa? It is at Aston Villa. Yes. The only other thing I would say is it's not, I don't know historically what our results always look like, but I know that historically it is a tough place for teams to go to, which, which, uh, you know, I, I think can, can either do us a world of good or can hurt us. Right. It depends on how we rise to that occasion. But I always forget about Villa being the biggest club in the second biggest city in England. Right. So they, they carry a lot of support behind them. And I think when you go up to Birmingham, it's worth remembering that that entire city is going to be against you. Well, the entire city is going to be against you. That's true. Um, but if you remember, Youngman's son owns that city. <laughs> so I'm ready for Sonny to do some business and uh, us to get Let's out go. of there with the squeaky W. We need one. So. Yeah. I mean, I think he had a good game against Palace. He was unlucky not to get on the score sheet. Um, well, I think to to Johnstone's credit, he did a really good job of coming out and closing down that angle so Sonny could round him. Yeah, but I, I think you're right. I, I would expect to see Sonny really come alive in this fixture because it's one that he loves. So last topic I want to hit before we move on from the men's team is just talking about what's going to happen in this future period coming up in the summer with the, the search for a sporting director. So there have been some rumors that Johannes or Johan Spores could be a possibility. This is somebody who's worked with Scott Munn, who also just recently came in. They work together at Melbourne City. Um, and he's also worked with Nagelsmann in the past at Hoffenheim and Leipzig. And as we all know, he's one of the top candidates for the manager job. So what do you all know about this guy? And are you excited about the possibility of, I think, one, just having a sporting director in general who is not a criminal and um, having having sort of people who work well together and could actually, you know, have a, a sensible strategy for once. Allegedly. Uh, no. What? <laughs> yes, allegedly for legal okay. purposes. Yes. So what I, what I will say here more than anything else is that um, I've been excited for the last three times that Levy's tried to hit the reset button on his fuck ups. And so like what I would say is, yes, I would love to see the club go in a new, new, new direction with a, a new duo of, of folks that have worked together. And essentially, if it means that Daniel Levy is going to do less on the football side of things and make less of the footballing decisions, um, then I'm all the more for it. I this uh, I yeah, fine. It's a name. We're in the news Nagelsmann, cool. And I was excited about Conte. I was excited about Mourinho. I was not excited about Nuno. Uh, but I, I don't know. I feel that I have a level of excitement for Nagelsmann somewhere between Nuno and Mourinho. But I, I have to agree that appointing Nagelsmann or, or Spores or, or whatever in line with Munn, it, it, uh, it will come with skepticism for me just because I've seen wonderfully talented people come into this club and get nowhere with it. Um, there's only, again, one name that will give me any sort of, of hope or confidence that, 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 that we can get out of this mess. And that's because that person would already would be one of our own who 
wants nothing more than to get us out of this mess, right? But anybody else is just coming to take a job. And if they don't get us out of this mess, then they move on and continue on with their career. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's great that these three guys have worked together. I don't know much about their relationship other than there is one. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think I think if Levy has, has decided that he's going to go in an entirely different direction, it's wise to to get a group who has worked together together to do that. But at the same time, it's really just, again, taking a massive problem and handing it off to people that know nothing about the problem. So I don't know. And the problem's I'm pretty underwhelmed name by is all of it. Eric Dyer, and he needs to leave. Or just hire Potch and everything would be fine. It's, Dyer still needs to leave. It's I anyway. I, my thing is, is that, dude, you give me dude two of the best managers in the whole world. In Conte in Mourinho. And you hand them the best left winger in the league. I mean, he he, he being son won, won a golden boot. And the best striker in the league in Harry Kane. And you run them out of town on a fucking rail because of the way that you do business at your club. And that includes not buying the players that are required to cast. I don't know. No, I, I mean, I definitely hear y'all. We've been hurt before, but I, I don't know. It's difficult because I, I think y'all know that in recent weeks, I've kind of soured on Daniel Levy in a way that I had not felt previously, but I think we're all just kind of wondering, like, will this finally be the time that he gets it right? And we just don't know until, until we actually see the results. So because we are in an abusive relationship with Tottenham Hotspur. Like, oh, did, yeah. did you hear what you're saying? Like, anybody <laughs> no. who's taken a psychology class can recognize that is a cycle of negative behavior. <laughs> and, yeah. and, like, I don't know, Kaz, like, how do we look at this and go, it's okay. This time he said it'll be different and be okay with that because I'm not. Well, I think where I'm at now is that I'm, I'm, I am no longer okay with it and, like, very wary that, you know, he can get it right, but... Yeah, the, the 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 shitty part about all of it, at least from my own perspective, is I don't sense that my apathy will leave until Levy does or until Potch is back. And and again, I hate that I keep talking about Potch. I swear I'm not trying to do this, but like that's that's the only way that my apathy can be removed at this point. I don't and Levy's not going anywhere. I, I will I will die on that hill. The dude is not going anywhere, so we just need to stop having that conversation. And I don't mean we, I just mean the void of Tottenham Hotspur fan base needs to needs to stop discussing that because it's not going to happen. But until it does, I'm not confident in anything outside of bringing Pochettino back. And um, and that still comes with an asterisk that Levy has to act differently towards Poch for us to, 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 to have any sense that things can get better. So I, I, I've, I've joked a lot about my apathy. You guys know it's not a joke. It's a very real thing. I, I, I watch matches because I care about the club, but the results mean nothing to me. I didn't celebrate the Kane goal yesterday. I, I, I really meant it when I said that the points we picked up yesterday were concerning to me. So like, that's where I am. And that's probably on Levy more than anything. Right. But I just, I, I, again, I hate closing out my rant like this, but I just, I don't sense any hope at all um, for whatever Levy decides to do. And I am certainly not going to continue to put myself in the cycle that I, that, you know, I did at, at one point. And again, that's why I'm here. Right. And I've decided to, to just remove my emotion from Tottenham Hotspur because I, I really don't think the club has left me much of a choice. Yeah. I mean, I, 
that is a perfect transition to talk about the women's team because I think that's slowly but surely where I'm getting at with them as well is that that feeling of apathy and just not having a lot of hope that things are going to change I if I'm correct that y'all did not get to watch the game um, against United I think it was like a 4:30 kickoff west coast time yeah I uh I got back from a hockey tournament at, at I think it was like 12:40 a.m pacific time so I was not gonna gonna get two and a half, three hours of sleep and get up and, and watch us lose to United, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I mean, when you, you looked at the highlights of that match and it was very much a first-place team against a 10th-place team. And it looked that way, Cass. Yeah, and I think even just when I woke up and saw the lineup, I kind of knew the way it was going to go. Really a big shake-up to the starting 11 for this game. Uh, Tenny was back in goal, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think she was actually our best player. Uh, in this match, she she made a lot of really crucial saves that kept the scoreline from getting truly ugly. But crucially, Ash Neville and Evelina Simonen were dropped onto the bench. And I, I suspect that was because they were on yellow card accumulation watch, and we really need them for the upcoming Reading game. But it didn't inspire a lot of confidence that, you know, two of our top performers over the season were not playing. But the players who came in, we had Shalina Zadorski, the captain. She was finally back playing and starting. Kit Graham got her first start since returning from her ACL injury. And Jess Naz got just her fifth start of the season because she's also had kind of persistent injury issues this year. Uh, and then on the bench, we had Ramona Petzelberger in the squad for her first appearance since September. But yeah, the score was 3-0. I, it was basically just a, a story of defensive errors that really cost us. Amy Turner had a bit of a Lucas Mora back pass moment, <laughs> which mm. was giving me major flashbacks and was painful mm. to witness. Uh, so that was, that was the error for Galton's goal. And then the other two goals were just kind of failures to, to claim and clear balls. Um, so Russo and Paris scored the second and third goal for United. And I also thought, you know, Biggie Jepson didn't inspire confidence with the starting lineup, and she had some pretty bizarre substitutions as well. At halftime, she took off Jess, who I thought had had a really good game up until that point. So that was a little baffling. And she brought in Rosella Ayan, who, I mean, I don't think I have to tell y'all, is kind of a very controversial figure at the club. And then later on in the game, we had a triple sub where she took out Celine, Kit, and Drew. And finally brought on Ash, Mana Iwabuchi, and Rhea Percival. And then the weirdest one of all was Ramona coming on for her first appearance in months um, to replace Amy Turner. And, you know, I'm always talking about wanting Amy to get benched, but I, I don't know that this was necessarily the move at the very end of the game. And it, it was just strange, very muddled thinking, I think, overall with the tactics and with the, the team selection. So, I, yeah, go ahead, Scott. No, I'm just going to say, I, I, again, as we covered, I didn't watch the match. Um, but if we truly don't start key players, especially Ash, because of yellow card accumulation and fear that they might not be available for Reading, I think that is a grave managerial error by Vicky Jepson. And, and the reason mm -hmm. I say that, one, it inspires zero confidence in your team going into that match. So you're literally saying, I'm just going to throw this match because we're not going to get points anyways. And then you're telling your, 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 your rotation, if I were to potentially need you for Reading, I don't trust you. 
mm-hmm. so I think just two two very very bold significant things you're telling your team through that decision and I think Vicky Jepson will learn from that, but I think it's a massive error from, from Vicky. I can certainly see that perspective. I'm actually going to take the opposite side of that approach, Scott. And I'm going to say, when you look at the fact that this is a team coming into this match on 47 points and Spurs coming into this match on 14 points for the season, like you're looking at this going, there is a legitimate golf in class, even best on best. And we recognize that now. If you look at, you know, where Reading falls in the table um, and you're saying like, hey, this is a much more evenly matched setup for us as a squad and gives us a position next week to have a fully fledged, um, you know, a fully fledged squad against the bottom of the league team when we actually need a W. Like, I, I think that the Reading game is much more winnable. And I want to have a full-strength squad to do it. And so I, I don't hate that. And I think explaining that, as long as expectations were managed properly within the within the, the kit or within the boot room, like I, I think that you're going to be fine, Scott. Well, I, and it, first of all, I'll say that that's well said. And, and at no point do I starkly disagree with you. But I think at this point, you're managing with data and I'm managing – through 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 heart and emotion and those are very those two are both fine things right um i think that i still am never going never going to put myself in a position as a manager and i have managed you know not at not at this level you u13s right but i would never put my team in a situation where they didn't think that i was fully confident in their ability to go win a game and that's my issue um sorry carolyn go ahead no i think that's well said i I kind of agree with you that I think Vicky really set the tone from the top and you're right, Todd, that this was not a game that was the focus. The Reading game is definitely the priority. I I think the only issue I had with this sort of attitude of like not putting much into it was that we had been on a much better run of form performance wise. And I worry that some of that confidence will have been lost. Um, through this game and, and through losing so soundly. You mean, um, I, it, I mean, potentially, but, but to your very point, like, I don't know. Nobody is aware of their own weaknesses as much as the professional playing the match. Right. And so I don't know. It's hard to speculate about where they're coming from or what may happen after this. I think that the proof will be in the pudding. If they come out and you know, are, are, are everything that you could hope they were in more against Reading and they avoid the drop and you know, they get a W and they keep on the run of form, then Jepson looks fantastic. If they come out flat and they come out disjointed and they look you know, like they're not communicating well, then, you know, clearly the momentum was stymied by the approach they took at, at Man United. So well, unfortunately we're going to have to rely on, on revisionist history here. For what it's worth, you say that no one is more aptly aware of their shortcomings than a professional player, but at this club, I might push back and say that's not <laughs> the case, my friend. Um, and it starts right. at the very that's... top. Attitude yeah. reflects leadership. You're not wrong. <laughs> A little yeah. bit of banter, but maybe a little bit of a uh, of, of truth behind that. Yeah, there, there's a kernel of truth there. I think uh, the the one good thing that came out of this match day is that Reading also lost very badly. Um, they were defeated five yes. nil at home to Aston Villa. 
So heading into that really crucial game, uh, which is going to be in two weeks, the next week is, is FA Cup week, so we are not involved. But we're three points above Reading as it stands, and we have an 11 goal difference advantage at the moment. So if I'm, Do they have games in hand? Uh, we are on the same number of games. Oh, thank God. Okay. So the okay. rest of the relegation picture, how it's looking basically is that so we play Reading next, and then we have West Ham on the last day while Reading has Chelsea. Who you have to assume they're not going to win against because Chelsea are chasing mm-hmm. the title. Mm-hmm. So basically, if we get a result in this Reading game, we're safe is how I feel. The other two teams that were kind of involved in the relegation scrap are Brighton, who they just leapfrogged us today. And then Leicester are just a point behind us, but they do have a game in hand. However, that game in hand is against Chelsea. So it's it's like in theory we really should be safe, but I hate that we have left it this late and have added unnecessary stress at the end of a season that really has not been a positive one for the women's team. You know, after hearing you map all that out, I think I might stick my foot in my mouth on, on my comment that Vicky really fucked up. And I think that if ma- if math tells you that the result against Reading keeps you safe no matter what happens against United. I think she maybe rolled the dice correctly today, Todd. Um, so yeah. I'll backtrack and say that you actually I will I will claim a loss in that in that little mini debate. Um, Dakota, I'll never fucking do that for you, Andrew. Kiss my ass, but <laughs> Todd, I'll give you a victory, man. I love you. Can I just remind y'all that we've had a very mixed record against Reading this season? Uh, we had one win, one loss, and one draw in the cup that we ended up losing on penalties. Mm. One so, win, one loss, one draw. That's perfect. That's weird. They are ripe for the taking. No, Go. but a win against a team on 12 points or 11 points, I think they have 11 points, is much more likely than a win uh, uh, against a team on 47 points when you have 14. Math. Yeah. No, I hear you. I, I think for me, the the other issue is just like, fan morale is at an all-time low and this today's game really just did not help with that that is a hundred percent fair i I definitely think that we should make some space for that Cass, because that's extremely important i don't think we can overlook the fact that the fans are hurting and they want something to be excited about and a three nil loss after putting out a second string team is is a tough one to get behind i see that yeah yeah and it's going to be a big summer for the women's team as well i mean also without a permanent manager and just kind of unclear what the direction is and having such a lackluster end to the season is really going to, I think, affect recruitment to an extent. So potentially just stay up, just stay up, just stay up. That has to be the goal. All right. Well, good chat guys. We will be back next weekend to talk about uh, just a men's game in that case. So until then, we've got Scott is at DSM Spurs. Todd is TC underscore Kasho. I am at CG Stefco. And we will talk to you all next week. Come on, you Spurs. Come on, you Spurs. Thank you so much for stopping by the Tottenham Depot. Thanks to Scott Bird for our intro music, as well as the tunes you are hearing right now. Thanks to Dakota Booth for our artwork. Thank you as well to our spouses who put up with our obsession with this football club and for all that they do. And thanks to you, the listener, for what really makes this happen. Supporters make this club, and you, the listener, are what make this podcast possible. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tottenham Depot, and as always, come on, you Spurs.